I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. On today's episode, we have Emma Folk. She's a registered dietitian and owner of The Biome Kitchen, a virtual nutrition practice educating women in their 40s to be IBS bloat with the low FODMAP diet and good for you gut plant forward recipes. Emma's 32-year career has involved clinical research, a pediatric private practice, marketing and media, and corporate culinary nutrition. Emma was honored with awards from Today's Dietitian and Philadelphia's Magazine in 2010, and she received the Outstanding Nutrition Entrepreneur Award in 2018. Emma was the chair of NE in 2013 and chair of the Women's Health DPG just last year. She lives in Philadelphia with her German husband and Doodle as both of her kids are grown and have flown the coop. You can find Emma on Instagram at The Biome Kitchen as well as her website, www.thebiomekitchen.com. Welcome to the episode. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to dive in and the place I like to always start with those that come on the episode is talking about where you started. So I'd love for you to share where you started out and compare that to where you are now. Like for instance, did you even have an Instagram account when you started the program? Well, I started the program, as you know, just after COVID. So we're talking March. So it hasn't been that long. And now we're into December. So it's been a fairly short time. But yes, I did have an Instagram account. It was under my name. But as most of us know, uh, the registered dietitians out there who are listening, I was posting, and I know you'll get this, those pretty food pictures. And you know, like my walk with the dog, heading in through the woods, And, you know, trying to think that these are inspirational photos and that people are really interested in them. And I'm going to confess, y'all, I started my IG in 2013. Okay. Scary, right? Wow. spent a long time doing these vanity, you know, things like these photos and and la la la, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're an OG, an Instagram OG. You've been around before. That is incredible. And so what really changed with you and your Instagram? What took you to this place of having these these like vanity photos of food and your dog to wanting to set it up and have it be an actual business? Absolutely made such a difference to me to join your guys and Libby's program because what happened was I took the whole concept of the IG and as you guys recommend, used it as a marketing tool and it's a free marketing tool. So there's nothing better than that. I mean, we can spend hundreds and thousands of dollars, which I have in the past on marketing and to have something like this at your fingertips is really ideal. Definitely. And 
it's interesting that you shared that because a lot of people dive into this work and they're doing a million things like they've worked in sports, they worked in peds. And when they're trying to like start to market and brand their business, most people think, oh, more is more. So they start advertising, speaking to everyone when they could just really simplify their message, figure out who they want to talk to and use a free platform to save them some time. Yes. Oh my gosh. So true. And you know, it wasn't easy to hone down on a niche Mm -hmm. uh, because when I was working with you guys in this program at the beginning and, you know, COVID came along and I'm looking at my, my options and I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, maybe I can reach the menopausal women. Maybe I can reach goodness, like go back to pediatrics, even kids and families. And, you know, what really came to fruition was that I honed in eventually on women, which is what I really enjoy a lot, but then into what, was very meaningful, the GI realm. And the gastrointestinal realm right now is on fire, right? I mean, we cannot keep up with the data. It is, I I feel like I just got catapulted into like some universe that I have no idea what I'm, where I'm headed, but because there's so much information out there. So that excitement for me as a, you know, healthcare professional is something that keeps me highly motivated. I love that. Yeah. To help women beat IBS bloat with the low FODMAP diet, knowing that there's so much information and position (laughs) yourself as a person that's getting all that information and you're synthesizing it in a way that they can understand. That's a powerful skill to have because there is a lot of overwhelm in this GI realm as you, as you share. And I think a lot of people are looking for some clarity and that's something that you can provide them. That's right. And also, I think the point of making things simple to understand, you know, is our job as registered dietitians, so we can take that scientific evidence based, you know, PubMed article, and try and bring it down to its basic essence, you know, what is this trying to say? And how can this be relevant to the layman? How can I say, what is a FODMAP diet? I don't even know what FODMAP is. I mean, fermentable oligosaccharide, disaccharide, blah, 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 right? It's like, who cares? You know, I'm barely learning that. So how can I relate that information to, you know, like the client that I'm targeting, that woman with IBS who's newly diagnosed by her physician and says like, okay, I, I guess I need to go on a FODMAP diet, but I have no idea what to do. Yeah. And that's such an important piece is like understanding their current level of knowledge and obviously tailoring your message. So a woman that's two years into her journey, who's just struggling with accountability, that's going to be a different Instagram post compared to a woman that's newly diagnosed. And I think that's a really powerful thing to distinguish because a lot of times people are like, I just want to help women with IBS, women in their forties, thirties, like newly diagnosed three years down the line. Like those are different people. So thanks for, for mentioning that. They're absolutely different people because, you know, when you do get down the road to the two or three years out, they've tried quite a lot of different diets and and they're at a different level, you know, emotionally and how they're ready to deal with, with what the next step is. For sure. And the next thing I want to ask you, because obviously we're talking about something really specific that you're doing on Instagram and a lot of people are coming from other work and usually that work is very very general. They work with a lot of different populations. So I think it's always inspiring for uh, the listeners to actually hear what type of work you were doing before. So can you share that with us? 
Sure. So my work is so eclectic. The reason being is that I've been around the block and I say three times. So I started out in research in Boston in obesity research and critical care. Then uh, we moved to Philadelphia and I opened up a pediatric private practice here. And I had that, it was called Nutrition for Kids, Teens and Families. And I saw you know, mostly working parents and their and their kids for everything you can imagine. I mean, you know, sports to eating disorders to allergies to, you know, failure to thrive. And I had them referred by physicians. After that, I actually uh, ended up working in culinary and doing directing programs at the Wayne Art Center because my yin and my yang are art and science. So I got to to use both over my career. I love that. I love that yin and yang. That's such a great way of putting it. And would you say in any of those roles, were you working with your dream client? You know, ironically, I was. And yes, the reason is it was perfect for my life at that time. So when I was in my 30s and I had young kids, I was working with the families and I loved all those little kids coming in the door and working with those teens because I could get them. I could get the mom. I could understand dad. I could understand the partner. That timing was perfect. And then the creativity with the culinary as my kids were in high school and college, then I got to go and play in that arena with executives and, and kids and culinary camps and All I said to myself, I would come home and I would say, guess what I did today to my husband? I'd be like, I was playing again, you know, like playing in the kitchen, playing with the kids, you know, playing with the adults. So that was perfect timing for that time of my life. I love that. And kind of what I'm really hearing, if we were to just kind of land on a word, agile comes to mind. Yeah. And because I think that's what we're really landing on when we're talking about this movement from clinical brick and mortar private practice to this digital space. A lot of times dietetics is often viewed as a dinosaur or stuck in the path. Like we're not forward moving in our, in academia in terms of getting the profession to be more agile, to move quickly with the trend. So one thing that I really think was really important that you noted is that you adjusted not like based on your life, obviously, but also just kind of seeing what's happening and noticing like that was the age before the internet, right? Mm-hmm. So you were adjusting and doing things based on that. But with everything happening, and you mentioned earlier on with COVID, that you had to be agile and kind of transition to this newer way. And I think that's something that more dietitians should really embrace and not be afraid to move quickly. And then obviously the agile aspect of being easy, we can all say it's a little challenging, but having a method makes it easy. So I know that's one thing that people may struggle with, but it's totally doable. Yes, a method does help a lot. It gives you focus, it gives you the goals, you know, and it gives you a layout and a plan. When we talk about, you know, my work in the Wayne Art Center, I was, you know, directing a lot of the programming there. That that shut down overnight. Can you believe it? Like one day here, the next day not. And, you know, that's me and 16 other staff members. And it's like, how do you pivot in such a short time? And how do you then take the skills that you have or that you have accumulated, whether it is like you, a second degree person who has had many you know, other lives, how do you take those skills and transfer them to the mm-hmm. next job? And that being said, too, I think, you know, a point as we're talking is that, you know, your lifestyle does make a choice. Where are your priorities? You know, are you going to are you going to take a job and fly around the world when you have 
four little babies at home? I don't know. You could, but then you need to have the, you know, the means to support that. True. So true. So true. Which is why having a virtual private practice, as long as you have Wi-Fi and a laptop, you can still fly around the world. (laughs) Yeah. You can fly around the world, but most importantly, you can take your kids with you. (laughs) (laughs) You can be on the beach. They could be, you know, be bumping around. Yeah, but it's interesting now more than ever, you know, a lot of people were splitting their time between being a caretaker and obviously being a career professional. And oftentimes people feel pulled, like they feel like, okay, I have this office setting that's getting 70% and my family's getting 30%. But to give private practice, in particular virtual practice, some more credit, you can actually leverage more time with your family by just switching over to this, which is nice because family is important for a lot of people, but you're right. Some people are chasing more money and that might mean having to leave the home or relocate. And sometimes it's not feasible. Sure. And I mean, going back to the point of, you know, scheduling and flexibility with a virtual business, I think it's important for moms to know, you know, having being a mom myself, that you can create your own schedule. And so be it. You might see like 15 people on a Saturday, right? But then on the Monday, you're catching up with physician notes or you're, you know, getting stuff done with your marketing. So I think the beauty of it being virtual is is allowing that flexibility and that being said i i don't want to undermine also the the situation right now where we're talking about families being absolutely overextended in every way having kids at home and trying to homeschool and the whole nine yards so my heart goes out to to all you families that that are doing that right now bless yeah. you all really amazing yeah yes such amazing words. And yeah, I, I definitely echo your your point. A lot of people are definitely being extended beyond measure and it's very admirable and kudos to everybody that's making it happen, making it work. And on that note, especially since we just talked about a lot of people, you know, being pulled in many directions, having to take on different clients, looking for job opportunities. The best thing about this is that now you get to work with a specific client. It's a very narrow focus. So can you share a little bit more about your current niche? Let's dive into it a little bit more and even share how your niche has evolved. Yes. So the niche, I knew I wanted to work with women for sure. And, you know, I was looking at menopause and I was looking at other, other areas, even family nutrition, but I ended up moving into the GI because it it is an exciting realm to work in. And I'm passionate about learning about all of that new science that's coming out. And also knowing that um, nutrition plays a pivotal role and impacts the wellness of the people. It actually works like, you know, amazingly well, a a low FODMAP diet can help 70% of the time. If not, there are other diets to look at, you know, in your toolbox. We're also looking at stress management, which I have a real passion for. I wrote a book called having your all with Nisha Shah in 2014. And it was about women and, and working and stress and, you know, work life balance. So when we talk about the GI issues. We don't only talk about nutrition, we talk about stress management, we talk about the mind body connection, we talk about movement and exercise, we talk about meaning, you know, passion and purpose. So it all comes together to form a healthy gut. And because of that, that was kind of a light bulb moment where I'm like, Ooh, 
yay. You know, all these things I'm interested in, I can actually put into this one lane. Yeah, I love that. And was this where you started out? I know you said back in March is when you started on this process of building your virtual practice. So I would love for you to share if, if you just kind of landed on it, knew you had it, or if you could share your journey, if this wasn't where you landed initially. So initially in March, I said, oh, wow, here today, gone tomorrow. Where's my job? Right. And I'm like, here we go. What are we going to do? Let's do what you really finally want to do, Emma. And that was like work with the microbiome. And I put, because of my background, I put the beginning of it into a culinary bend because I'm passionate about, you know, sharing culinary skills and know-how with, with people. So that's how I started out. I started out with a uh, website with that. Then while I'm walking my pooch in the afternoons, I'm listening to the dietitian boss podcast and I'm like, Ooh, marketing, marketing and Instagram, nothing I'm good at. And as you know, I couldn't even do it for the last whatever years, 20 years, 16 years, six years. But, and I'm like, Ooh, I need that. I need to know how to take where I'm going right now and to hone in on it. Then you guys are to have taught me so much. I mean, all of a sudden I'm like learning Instagram and then I'm on like this thing called Canva pro and I'm cutting and pasting like pictures. And I'm like, Oh my God, my artsy side is loving that. Right. And then you guys are like, oh, better practice or practice better, right? That yeah. Part. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to learn that. And there we go. So, so I'm in this like huge learning process and you know, you're never too old. Let me tell you that. Never. Oh, I love that. Such a good point. Cause a lot of people do think that when they're like Instagram marketing, mm-hmm. I don't know if I should get into that, but Emma is proof. You guys, her graphics definitely go check out her Instagram day one out the gate. I'm like, whoa, Emma, your you graphics are amazing. <laughs> amazing. You figured out how to do all the fancy tricks. <laughs> I'm like, this is like an art project. I can do that. But you don't have to be an artist, obviously, to use it. If you, if you know how to turn on your computer and you're willing to just spend a few hours in front of it, it is very intuitive. It really is. And, and obviously, don't you think the Instagrams evolve over time? I mean, you never come out with like, you know, yeah. the pitch. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be iterations of stuff, which is great. Like everything that we have in our house there was an original, right? And it only got better with time. So very much like that, our marketing and our business is going to develop the same way. But just getting out there, and like you said, a lot of things are super intuitive. And just putting forth that effort and just allowing yourself time, I think what you just said is so important. Obviously, things don't like happen immediately. You have to like block out time and say, I'm going to look at Canva Pro today. I'm going to learn how to use Instagram stories today. And as long as you go from it, from that learning and growth versus, oh, I can't figure out in five minutes, then you're, you're fine. As long as you put forth that good effort and you have good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely takes time for sure. And perseverance and patience. Nothing is learned over like overnight. I mean, I, I liken it to learning a language. It takes time. You know, you have to get the first sentences out and then, you know, figure out how to say something. For Um, sure. So true. And a big part of this is being able to enjoy your work. So can you share with us, like, what do you like about working with this niche in particular? Because 
you have such an obviously diverse background. So choosing one thing is oftentimes people's like biggest struggle, but Mm -hmm. you can always kind of like hone in on like what it is that you like about it. Having that like strong why and passion is often really helpful. So I would love for you to share yours. Yes. I think that, you know, my background in critical care and and working with really sick people must be playing a role here because IBS is something that is not, you know, people live with it every day and they suffer with it every day. And so that's one thing is, is knowing like the client needs help. I know I can help them. And the second thing is, how do I know I can help them is I actually have tools I know I have these tools I can help them with. So I know there's some diets out there, particularly this low FODMAP diet is one. There are the other tools of stress management and what we just discussed before, but I have a toolbox ready for them. It's waiting. And so what my job then is to find that client, who is that person? And you guys have really helped me really hone in on that, especially, you know, Micah, yeah, you and Libby have been just amazing because you're asking questions all the time. You're saying like, well, who is that person? Who is that perfect client? Where do they live? What is their family like? Do they have a family? Who is that? And so when I'm creating these Instagram posts, I'm trying to put in my head, you know, this particular person and then try and cast out that information to them and try and capture them. And and then at the same time, I know it's like going out into this universe and I'm like, is there anybody out there, (laughs) you know, in that Instagram universe? Yeah. So, yeah. So to answer your question, it's really knowing that I know I can help these people. I have the tools to help them. And now I need to get them and find them. And that's part. I love that. I love that. And a big part of what you just said is understanding what their big problem is. And what you said, the fact that you use the word suffering, like they're suffering personally, professionally, they're living with it. I think those are such powerful words. And it's very, very specific because oftentimes people have hopes of helping people, but they're trying to help people that first of all, don't even see it, that it's a problem, not big enough to pay for anyway. And usually they're not figuring out like the emotional aspect around it. So for you to use the word suffering are already tells me and tells everyone listening that she really understands this person because mm-hmm. that really what is what it, what it is. Most people will refer to people based on their diagnosis and not really getting to the emotional aspect mm-hmm. and thinking about who they really are. And that's really what separates you in marketing. And so if someone's scrolling and they see two or three IBS dietitians and they see your content you're talking about the stress, you're talking about the fact that she's an empty nester and you're really speaking to her, they're going to be like, Emma's my gal. She Mm -hmm. is connecting with me. She understands what I'm going through. And that's powerful. Yeah. And I know we do even talk about the fact that do you have to have the problem yourself to be able to relate to that client? And I would say, no, you don't. But, you know, doing the research behind it, you know, looking at like you guys recommend looking at other Facebook pages or doing research on areas where I can find out who that client is, is going to give me the skills I need to get them. Uh, Yeah. You don't have to have that diagnosis to help a person. 
Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's something that I also think holds a lot of people back. Like, am I relatable? And I, and think about any other healthcare professional, right? Hmm. A doctor who's a heart surgeon, I should say specifically a brain surgeon. They may have not necessarily ever had a heart attack or had a brain aneurysm or something like that, but they do the research and they know how to treat it. So I liken it to that. This field is kind of like that, but there's something about people and dietetics where there's this uh, this shadow overhanging them that's doubt, making them feel like I need to do more schooling. I don't feel capable. And a lot of people hold themselves back and don't actually pursue what they're really passionate about because they're like, well, I don't have it or I don't think I know enough. So I appreciate that you mentioned that because that does hold people back quite a bit. You know what? We really need to talk about that. Yeah. Why are dietetics, you know, people, professionals, held back. And what do we need to do to get us out there, right? And to get us on the front line. And it used to be information, right? Hi, I'm a dietitian. I know everything because I've studied this and you can't find this information anywhere. But these days we're talking about information is everywhere. And I can find out exactly what I find out, you know, like about map diet, if I just press the button here, right on the computer. And so what does that leave us that leaves us into, we have to show up, we have to show up and show that we're the experts, but we also have to sell ourselves, we cannot be complacent. And we also have to, and I wish I could get on a pedestal on this one, and scream it across the thing, you know, across like the whole field and say, we not only have to show up, We have to say, you know what? I know my stuff. So guess what? This, what you just said is wrong. And, you know, this is what's right. And, you know, call me later, basically, whoever it is. And that's not to clients. That's to other professionals. That's to other. Show, show, don't be quiet. Do not be quiet. Yes. I, I'm giving my little jazz snaps over here. I 1 million percent agree because the, to really, really summarize it, like succinctly, there's so much information on this worldwide web. There's this internet of things, but you, the practitioner, hyper-specializing in one thing and being able to synthesize it is way more powerful than someone trying to look for it themselves. But you're right. In order for anyone to know that, you have to assert yourself and be like, look, there's thousands of IBS SIBO articles published every year. There's no way you're staying on top of it. So instead Mm -hmm. of Googling, come to me, I coach you to reduce that bloat so you can live your best life, but you have to shout it over and over. And no, 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 no. Don't talk to that influencer who got all of her stuff on Reddit to cure her IBS SIBO anecdotally and think it's going to work for you, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I even have on my, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I do have a lot that are anecdotal and I'm like, darn, you know, I'm, I'm enthralled listening to it. But at the same time, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is anecdotal information. So even your own information as a registered dietitian, you'd have to know where you're getting it from and stick to it, you know, yeah, and, and get it from the source. Right. So, yeah. you know, this study at so-and-so says this. And so that's why I re- recommend two kiwis a day. Okay. Exactly. But that's how you assert your knowledge. And that's how you build your no like, and trust because you're like, look, there's a lot of misinformation out there. I'm going to streamline it for you. And honestly, who's got time to keep up with all the research? And most importantly, who's going to keep you accountable for the stuff that you're finding 
on mm-hmm. Reddit, Google, and everything else in between. None of that matters without what you said. Also having the stress management piece, right? And we all know how good people are managing their own stress without some type of person or system. So that's where your value lies as a practitioner is to actually synthesize the information and actually keep people accountable, which exactly. is huge. And also, I think you've discussed it in other podcasts, it's it's getting that information to and bringing it down to a very basic level. Because I know we all like our eyes pop open and I like our mouths hang open when somebody says, really, I didn't know that. And you're like, oh, shoot, that was so basic. But you know what? Darn, I got to do more of this. You know, I got to give this basic information out and not act like we know it all because we don't want to do that, but we want to give it out. You know. Yeah. You know what? That's such a great point. There's almost this need to, I'll, I'll like equate it to an alphabet soup. I need to let people know <laughs> that I know A through Z. So I'm going to put A through Z on a graphic. I'm going to say A through Z on stories. It's almost like people feel like they need to qualify themselves for a job interview that they didn't even sign up for. Yeah. And I say that to say that you don't need to do all of that and less is more like just because you're not going to use all the stuff that you learned in nutritional biochem or orgo. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you you're still not a qualified professional. I think a lot of people get lost in the sauce. Like I have to make it sound like I have an an like all these degrees. I need people to know, but ultimately, only other people that have those same degrees yes. will be looking at your content. Yes. So it makes no sense. So right. So I mean, if your audience are physicians slash other dietitians slash other healthcare providers, yeah, that's a different story, right? For sure. For sure. But it it is hard for a lot of dietitians to get out of their own head and have less clinical speak. And then they'll, they'll swear up and down. This is the language they use. And then you have to like, ask yourself, but who, who are you, who are you talking to? And it might be other practitioners or you're, you're looking at people that aren't even your ideal client. Like this person has been four years. IBS SIBO has worked with four different dietitians just hops around, they're educated. That's different, right? They're going to use certain industry words versus someone newly diagnosed. That's like, that person's probably not paying you. Only listen to the people that are paying you. And if they don't know any of that stuff, don't (laughs) use it in your marketing. (laughs) I like that advice. That's perfect. I'm going to take that. Yeah. And then a big part of this too, is just like going after your dreams and like pursuing what, what your heart really wants. So can you share, has this always been a dream for you to have your private practice? You've, you've obviously shared all the different places you've worked. And I would love to hear your kind of like your story behind your entrepreneurship dream. Yeah. So that's such a good question. Yeah. Because I did have that pediatric private practice one-on-one with families and that was a brick and mortar. So Mm -hmm. this is different. I think what is so exciting right now is the possibilities of all that we can do virtually. And that not only includes one-on-one virtually, but also groups and programs. I mean, it's the sky's the limit really. And that makes it very, very exciting. Yay. That's so good to hear. And the other thing that I would love to talk about a little bit now, and you were, I see that you had wrote a little bit of notes about this is talking about dietitians learning, especially those that are older, like 40 plus 50 plus learning about social media. So I would love for us to take a little pause and talk about this real quick. Cause I like that you noted that the importance of having this discussion. <laughs> I guess I just wanted to let everyone know that social media is not intimidating. 
you do, like you mentioned before, we just have to take the time to, to get to know it. And it can be a very powerful tool for marketing. And Instagram these days is, you know, the hot ticket item. So why not get on board with that? For sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, have these perceived barriers to entry and we just, we're humans. It's in our nature to seek safety and comfort. It's like psych 101. So I do think it's important that people recognize that, you know, ask yourself, is this like a real limiting belief or is this something that you're telling yourself? And if you told yourself that, then you can tell yourself the opposite and work your way over this barrier that you might have or hang up about I'm too old or I've just been doing X, Y, Z for so long and just kind of get out of your own way. Cause it's important to know, like, I don't know if Emma wants to share her age or not on air, but <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> let me, let me liken that to something. Oh gosh. Let's just say middle age is good and your kids are in college. You can kind of figure it out from there, you know? All right. Yeah, that's some good no, math right there. Out of college. I forgot they're out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, we can we can guesstimate. So, can with guesstimate. That, <laughs> so with that being said, you're never too old. You're you're only as old as you feel. And most of us, we, we feel youthful. We feel energized. So you can be whatever age you want. Just match yeah. that energy. And, and I think it's a mindset too. Like I was listening to a Brene Brown podcast and really, you know, the mindset of toggling between courage and fear, you know, like what's that gray area. And you're going to hit both. You don't have one without the other. There is no courage without fear. And so you're looking at me and you're like, Oh yeah, man, she's been around the block several times. She doesn't have any fear. No way. Are you kidding? I'm sitting there like, Okay, here's this Instagram. I, I hope it works. You know, let's try it. This is what Yah told me to do. Okay, I'll just do it. You know, so there's my courage. I'll just do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great quote. There is no courage without fear because, you know, new things are going to be scary. They're going to be uncomfortable. They're going to cause some armpit sweat, your, you know, your elbows and everything else that normally doesn't sweat is going to sweat, but that's a part of the joy. That's a part of the thrill. And you always have to remember there, there is literally no reality where you don't succeed unless you stop because marketing is such a beautiful thing, especially when we're talking about Instagram, you're really just putting fuel into it. Every time you post on your feed, every time you talk on your story, it's more gas in the tank and you're going to get further and further out and the algorithm is going to start to pick you up and then people are going to be attracted to you. So essentially, as long as you have that fuel to add to it, there is no world where you don't get everything that you seek, especially if your mindset is in a good place. Right. And in addition to, you know, obviously getting return on investment or return on, of, you know, what you're yeah. I think no matter what you're building skills, always, always. So, you know, if, if someone says, Hey, Emma, you want to do blah, blah, blah. And, you know, get on zoom and do this and this, I'll be like, yeah, I know how to use that. Or, you know, yeah, I can, I can do your IG for you over here because you're going to pay me to do it. Yeah, I'll do it. You know, so everything is continual and, you know, we learn and then we, unlearn and then we relearn and we just it's life and so never think you're going to be the expert in everything and everything because it's always changing and you have to be really prepared you know to move with it 
Yeah, I love that. That's such a good point. I think it's so important that people remember the power of transferable skills. And oh, you have to sit back and like ask yourself, learning how to create a graphic on Instagram and Canva is a marketable skill that will take you a very, 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 very far. Mm-hmm. Because for some people, for us in the beginning, it's time consuming. Then over time, it gets quicker and quicker and quicker and faster. And that's something that you'll have in your toolkit, whether you keep working with women with IBS SIBO, or you go join a group, or maybe you hire four or five other dietitians on your team, you now have the skills to teach them to then continue on the business. So it's, it's a great skill to have. Being able, like you said, to use Zoom and navigate technology and host group calls. Yep. Now you have these new skill sets. Like I know how to record and organize things and get it structured and practice better. Like these are things that people literally will pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to learn separately, to be able to get everything in one place and be able to build it up without spending years. Like, oh my God, it took me a year because I had no accountability to get myself on Zoom, get myself on practice better, get myself on Instagram versus being in a program. Like, okay, I just learned all these skills that it would have literally taken me a year. And what's time? Very, it's invaluable. It's invaluable. Right. Oh, that is like perfectly said. You said it so perfectly. All those skills do add up and it's not without sweat and tears. I mean, there are days of frustration where you're like, darn it. Yeah. It's real. Do it. You know, but you go like, I'll do it again. Courage and fear, you know, always going to be there for sure. And like, what are three or four words that come to your mind when you think about running your business since we've like just talked about a few things, but if you had to land on three or four words and actually what running a business affords you, of course, we talked about the scary part, but it's always nice to reflect on some of the positives. So what are some words that you would tie to this? I think, and it has been for honestly, the whole time I've, I've had my own business with a private practice, et cetera, has been flexibility and work-life balance. So that's number one, especially when you look at your values and what's most important to you, can your work fit in within your value system? And, you know, one of my values in the, in the past was family as number one. So my work would revolve around my family, you know, like I would, you know, see patients at weird times and, you know, weird days and things like that. So flexibility. And then the second is, For me, what's super important is the ability to be creative and to let what I know are my strengths shine through. So it's different for everybody. When you say you're opening up a private practice, a virtual private practice, you're going to have some dietitians who are really good at admin and really good at you know, or communicating at the, with the patient or really good at program planning or really good at therapy. So take those strengths and use them and call them creative, you know, like what is your creative superpower? And so for me, creativity is one of my top three values. So you talk about family, you talk about creativity and that value system falls into the words that come to mind when I think about running my own business. And then I don't know, like the third for me at my age right now is really making an imprint and impact. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked it with 
the kids. I've worked it with the family. I've done what I had to do for the last, whatever, 25 years, blah, blah, right? I worked it for the people I worked for. Now it's time for me to give back, but with impact. So I need to take all these skills that I have and be able to share them with a bigger picture. I don't know what that is yet, but it's within my bones that I know that I need to do that. Yes. So good. I oh, love it's that. Legacy of some sort. Like, you uh, know. yeah, building a legacy brand and building a legacy just in general, just for yourself is so important, especially in the field of nutrition and dietetics, which though it's been around for such a long time, it still feels rather emerging for some odd reason. <laughs> which is so unfortunate that I'm even using that word. I but can't it feels- believe it's so true. It's emerging <laughs> science. I know it's emerging because we finally, okay, let's put this in a positive perspective. We finally have the platforms. Oh my God, the platforms to get out there and use our voices and to be heard and to say, oh my God, I've worked my ass off to get here with yep. all of my you know, education. And yes, I have it. And here it is. So- we need to show up, girl. Yeah, we do, especially on social media. You'd be amazed. There's a lot of people that don't know that there are dietitians, what they do. Yes. It sometimes is very challenging. But now if you're on the platform, if we all collectively get on the platform yes. and start advertising, obviously it's a game of visibility. The more people see us, the less emerging it will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. And a big part of that is getting on here and building like no like, and trust. So I know you said you were starting to get more comfortable being on stories and you're obviously learning every day to build your practice. So can you give an example when you were like, yes, I'm totally building no like, and trust factor with my audience, because you do have to connect with them. Like you have a great offer, you have all these info nuggets and things that they really need to reach their ideal solution, but you got to like get there with them emotionally. So can you share um, an instance or what you're doing to build no like, and trust? Yes. So at the beginning, you know, I was kind of, when I look at the IG over time, I'm, I'm looking at not, you know, at the beginning, really, here's the data, right? Here's Emma. And I want to tell you that if you have bloat, you need to sign up for my group program. Yeah. It's called the B- IBS bloat. Right. So I'm like, here it is not really connecting to the person that I'm sending this message to. Right. So I think one of the big breakthroughs for me was really realizing that I have this one target, which is the ideal client and that they have a life and that they have emotions and that they have, you know, in my case, they they actually don't have to have a family in my case, but they, for the younger ones, like in their thirties or forties, they, they may. Right. So, you know, to connect to their lifestyle gets me much more no like, and trust than just saying, I have a program here. I'm a dietitian. Aren't you going to buy it? Right. Some people think that's marketing, but it's, it's not, I mean, you, you got to think channel QVC, right? Yes. 
they sell those $9.99 and they give you those fast action plans. They sell it like it is literally the thing you need. Yes. And think about that, right? They give a lot of effort into that. So we have to have that same energy. You have to make it desirable. You have to talk about it over yes. and over. How many times can I describe how this diamond ring is going to look on your wife's finger or wh- yes. whatever? I'm yes. like, really- I know. <laughs> It's true. Her surprise. When you come out with this gorgeous box, it is a beautiful velvet lined box and it will just be her color. Look at her eyes. (laughs) Emma, you must watch a lot of QVC with that's what they literally will sell you down to the packaging. I'm like, oh my God, this is literally a ring that's not even that expensive, but they will even sell it with emotion and put yes. you in situations. And we have to channel that QVC energy. We it's weird, but we do. We need a new QVC protocol here. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. We got to say, you need this low FODMAP diet, like no tomorrow. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> exactly. But that sounds so different and they're going to be drawn in. There's something to it, man. And there's a reason why they sell stuff at one o'clock in the morning. (laughs) That's when we should be posting, don't you think? (laughs) Seriously, they've convinced people to buy it all hours of the day. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think that should be something. If anyone's ever feeling weird or thinking they need to be too salesy, remember that's how you make your money. That's how the, that's how the world works. We don't have jobs if people don't have desires. Money needs to be free flowing. It's, it's abundant. It's everywhere. It comes and goes. And we just got to embrace the salesman salesmanship aspect because we're worth the money. We need to have that abundance in our life. I love that. And I also think like just from what you're saying, we have to you know, kind of let people know that we are as excited to sell them this, this information or this support or, you know, what we're selling and that we utterly believe in what we're doing. And that needs to be portrayed somehow, you know? Absolutely. One million percent. It, It needs to. And a way that you can start to have that energy. And I think a lot of people think this is really woo woo. I don't know why a lot of people are afraid to set goals, but a big part of it is setting goals. Like, I mean, audacious, ridiculous. You don't want to tell your partner. You you feel weird to even think about how many zeros at the end of that goal or that house or that car or things that you think only people on Bravo can have, like you got to really have like crazy audacious goals. So can you share some of your short and long-term goals? Because that's essentially what we're talking about. We're marketing to reach these goals. Like that's the the end goal, right? To help people, but Mm -hmm. to also help ourselves so we can help people at our highest level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm at the point where it's like step-by-step, day-by-day, right? And so those are short-term goals to get more clients into the beat IBS bloat group, you know, longer term is to hit through IG, but also to get, you know, physicians on board and and people around, and then to take that program into bigger venues, Uh, longer, longer programs, you know, uh, platforms, I love education so much, I could see producing some educational content around that, and getting out there, basically getting out there. I love it. Yeah. Education and the whole 
horse mod model is really powerful. We mm-hmm. like obviously data and information is the new currency. It's a hot currency. People, everybody wants it. Yes. So I love that that long term goal of you really thinking about scaling it into a bigger course, a longer course, like being able to have these partnerships with allied health professionals like that's mm-hmm. an awesome vision to have. And I look forward to hearing about how that turns out because it's definitely going to happen. I just can't wait to see all the people that you're able to start collaborating with to make it a reality. Yeah. Collaboration. I love it. Collaboration. <laughs> where we're, we're headed. Yeah. Yeah. And what action steps are you taking? Because obviously we have these goals and we tell our clients, you know, we do these smart goals or we tell them, okay, great. You have this. Here's your step-by-step. So what are the things that you're doing to help you get closer to that? So I love to strategize and imagine the future. So I'm a futuristic thinker and I just, so it can get me in trouble, right? Because I'll get a little like off target, right? Where I'll be like, that could let me down the other, other way. So I have to pull myself back. But as a futuristic thinker, I often use like tools, like in my office, I have big strategic pieces of paper, you know, that, and I have like Sharpie pens, all different colors. It's got to be prettier. It's not going to work, you know? And so as a visual person, I, I might even sketch like little pictures on it that will take me from my short-term, medium-term to long-term goals. And there'll be some X's out on it because it's interesting because you're, you know, a month from now, the sheet may look like something today, but a month from now, the two things might be crossed off on it because I'm like, that, that is like not happening or, you know, I'm not feeling that, or this is such a better from where I am now versus where I will be. This is a better solution. So it's, it's always evolving. And that's why I think long-term goals are not written in stone. I think they're very fluid. Um, But I think to have that big picture in front of you is a great guide. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Writing things down and having it somewhere and everyone has their own strategy. So albeit if you're a tech person and it's a checklist, if you're visual and it's a whiteboard or it's just big giant pieces of like paper or jumbo post-it notes, which I would love those <laughs> if they exist, whatever it is that you use. You, they, do, you. they do. Oh, I got to find them. I have to find them. If they're expensive though. I wouldn't. Oh, darn it. But it's important that you find that joy. Cause I like how you described it, having your pens and making it fun. Like you have to make it fun and do it in a way that's going to make you commit And you also, like you said, you have to be really flexible and shift as your goal shift. Like, okay, but having something is still important because some people are like, well, if it's going to shift, why write it down? But you got to have something. Yeah, you got to have something, a big hairy goal. And that big hairy goal could be like, for some people could be, oh, I want to do a TED talk, not me, but somebody might want to say like, I want to do a TED talk on this subject. That's like the big thing way over there. But in between, you know, I'm going to do A, B, and C. Or if you have other skills you want to add, let's say you're a speaker, right? And you love to speak. You're like, I'm going to add that in there. And that will be like a medium term goal where I'm going to take this content I'm working with now, but then I'm going to speak about it. Love. Such a great point. So good. So good. And the other thing that I want to talk about is 
talking about these goals and being able to make money. And I know you have a person in your program, you had a person in your program and what has like being able to start the process of growing your business and having people in your program, like what has that money afforded you or give you the ability to do? Yeah. So the money aspect of it is amazing because, you know, my entire family lives in different states and in different countries. So this is just extra for me to be able to visit. You know, my parents live in the UK and I have a twin in the UK and like, you know, my husband's from Germany. So we visit there. So we visit, our money goes to the, to the plane ticket. And then it's like, hi, I'm here, <laughs> you know, or, you know, how long can we stay? So that's something that I really hope to, to help have this do as well as at my age, we, we save and save and invest and save. Yeah. And, yeah. Love it. Such a good strategy. Yeah. Being able to save for different financial things that you have coming up, albeit travel or retirement are always amazing things to be able to have that extra income for. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what people struggle with, especially coming from like corporate culture, clocking in, clocking out, you know, having your own business scares a lot of people because they have these limiting beliefs about money. And a lot of people really hold on to what they perceive to be secure. And, but if they have these big, big audacious, hairy goals, if we, as we share, there's also a cap, especially in the field of dietetics about unless you live I think, what are the top states? New York, York, California, and like maybe Vegas or New Mexico. I think the top ones are kind of really interesting places, but like all things you match the cost of living. It's not really technically that high. It's all all relative. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's all relative unless you live in a shoebox. But unless you're living like obviously really meager. So I would love for you to kind of share your money story and what beliefs you have about money, because the field of dietetics does lend itself to people really feeling like all I can make is this type of money. Or if I go out on my own, I'm leaving my security blanket. Yeah. You see, I've had both. I've had like a clinical job slash then uh, my own business for 12 years, then back to, you know, someone else paying the bill and now back to entrepreneurship. So as far as, you know, taking the leap, I think that if you're in clinical and you want to get out, you know, it's, you can do that. I think that starting a new business is hard. It takes time to, you know, get it started. However, if you are doing kind of these virtual visits and you're using Instagram, I think that's a fairly quick way to get one-on-one clients. So if you are in clinic now and looking to move out, start to think about getting clients, you know, on the weekends or, you know, after work, get a few, see how it goes, see how it grows. And you will know, you will know for sure, you know, whether what you're doing has legs or not. The other thing which has been really helpful to me over the years is always to have what I call cash cows. So I will work for companies. And for example, I worked for Dietz and Watson for like 10 years. I was their marketing manager and like their spokesperson. Right. So that was like 20 hours a week. It was amazing. It was so much fun. So that was a cash cow at the same time I had my own business. So when you do your own business, 
it doesn't mean you have to just do one-on-one counseling the whole time. You can go out there and you can be a consultant. So Deaton Watson paid me under my LLC as a consultant, you know, and so that's an idea. You can write, you can work, write for people. You can make pretty good money. You can, there's so many things you can do. You can speak, you can make, you know, a couple thousand on a good talk, just get it together and repeat it a few times. So, you know, it takes time to build a practice. It does, but with the technology today, it's much faster than it's ever been. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And it's so true. There's definitely multiple revenue stream opportunities. And a lot of people limit themselves to only think about counseling, not the fact that, you know, Emma, as she mentioned earlier, she's authored a book. And I think you've also co-authored a book. Like you could collab with other people. You can do speeches for companies. Mm -hmm. I think all those things are such great ideas. And most people forget that like all things, like you diversify your your stock market portfolio, right? Well, depending, some people are aggressive, moderately aggressive or conservative. So depending, I guess that's not a great analogy because some (laughs) people are really conservative. But if you're one of the more free for all and you're willing to try new things, it is worth it. You can diversify your offerings and like extend how you get paid, which is really great information. So thanks for reminding the listeners about that. Yeah, you also have your products, right? That you can sell based on your niche. Um, So you can grow that way too. Yeah. Lots of ideas. And I think like going into a niche is helpful because you become known as that expert in that area. And people are, if they're looking for you, they'll find you, you know, they're, it's hard to say, like, if you're do everything, then it's going to be hard to find you, but yeah, very specific and you hone in on a specific niche, people can find you easier. Yeah. So true. It's so much easier. Like when you like, think about when you're looking for something, whether it's uh, someone to cut your hair, or color your hair, you're mm-hmm. looking specifically for someone who cuts and specifically <laughs> someone who colors. Yeah. There's the Jack and Jill's of all trades, but you know, it's very much like that. We, we tend to look for people who specialize. So it only yeah. makes sense that naturally your business should also reflect the way people consume and the way we consume as well. Right. And I think that reflects also the times as well, because what has happened at warp speed, mind you, is that we have opened up the world to the world. Okay. So you're on Instagram and you know what you're doing? You're competing with the woman in Australia who's in your niche. You're competing with the other woman over in, you know, California across for me, across the United States and not even competing at this point, you're collaborating with them. You know, you're, chatting with them, DMing them, or all, all kinds of things. So what used to be regional and very much local and brick and mortar is now this huge web of yep. open space. And Definitely. the people are all in that web. And your competition is bigger and yeah. your reach is bigger. Yeah, so true. Such a good point. Yeah, a lot of it starting out, you it's easy to see it as competition initially, but like all things in business, yes. how many PCs are there? How many apps are there for emails or platforms, web-based platforms for email? How many different shoe options are in Nordstrom Rack? I mean, we live in, but that's, that's industry, that's commerce right. and it's healthy and it helps innovate. It helps you push 
your comfort levels, like having that other person who may be across the country, but that's where specializing makes it less, a lot less competitive, right? Unless you're like tit for tat and just haven't figured out a way to really, really get super specific. And then, yeah, it can be that way, but also there's a limited capacity of what one can do in terms of taking on people until you add more. So if you think there's like, let's just say there's 3 million people with IBS, I'm not sure what the number is. Even if you had a hundred of those people or a thousand of those people in a year, mm-hmm. there's still a big pool for all the other practitioners as well. And you guys can keep pulling and then people are born every day. So <laughs> it's never ending. Yeah, exactly. And you may be speaking to a client in another country, which is wild, you know, Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And speaking of creating content and getting ourselves on the World Wide Web, can you walk us through your content creation process, like how you're developing that specific message to stand out and where you get your content inspiration from? Yes. So the content is definitely based on the niche, which is uh, based on the ideal client. And, you know, you guys have helped me a lot with that because what I had to really hone in on was the problem, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, you need to be well, you know, wellness is not a problem. And you're, you you guys are like, Emma, it needs to go deeper than that. You know, you can't be like sick or well, what is it? And what is it with IBS? What is it that is the problem? And I'm sitting there going like, well, there's constipation and diarrhea and you know, all that. And then kind of like the common denominator is bloat you know, for, so the problem is bloat. Bloat just encompasses all diarrhea, constipation, pain, and the whole nine yards, right? And so thanks to you guys, I I got that in as the problem. And then like the pain point is like, we talked a little bit about this in the IBS field, who who, is your client not knowing uh, what a diet is, a low FODMAP diet is? Do they need education? Do they need support? If so, where are they in their journey? So I noticed that I'm particularly interested in educating that person and giving and giving them support. So that became helpful. And then the solution, even though I tout and I constantly am advertising about the low FODMAP diet in my toolkit, I have other things. I have stress reduction. I have like the carbohydrate diet. I have like these other, like 10 other diets for SIBO, you know, Um, if needed, because that client might not fit that criteria, but they're in my program. So most of them, I would say like 90% do need the low FODMAP diet. Yeah. That's super information. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important because a lot of times people are overwhelmed because you've spent so many years as a, as a professional, like acquiring all this information. And, you know, it's not as simple as a one word thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it is tough because a lot of practitioners like, no, it's not that simple for the sake of marketing. It's blow. It <laughs> and that goes back to our whole comment about like, take away that medical stuff and bring it down to the level of your customer and what they really need to hear. And you got to say, your pants are not fitting tonight. Damn that bloat. Right. Yeah. Are you frustrated? Yes. I'm so frustrated. I could scream. Really? How frustrated are you? Oh, I couldn't go out to, you know, my party tonight. I couldn't fit into my outfit and I'm just so bummed. So we're not even talking now about low FODMAP diet Uh and all that, what that means, but we're really reaching the client where they're at. So true. Such a good point, Emma. 
And that's why a lot of times when you're creating content and Emma can definitely speak on this in a second as well, you know, you don't just land on this, right? Like you have this idea, you do a lot of work to get there. So oftentimes your posts are just not going to do well because you may not know this girl may not even be social. You may be talking about her not fitting into clothes with bloat. And it turns out she's like the most antisocial. So <laughs> as you work to figure it out and then you figure out, Oh, she's not antisocial. She's actually social. You go through this. So all that to be said, your posts aren't always going to do well. And that's okay. Because guess what? Instagram prioritizes new and fresh content new and fresh content it prioritizes. It's not like Google. It's not like YouTube where it's kind of like sitting there. It's a search engine. Instagram is like, if it's fresh today, so you Mm -hmm. always have a fresh chance, a fresh start. So can you share what you do when your posts don't do well and like how it makes you feel and how you overcome that? Cause it gets people caught up. It does get people caught up. Mm, Okay. Let me just tell you, I'm old enough to say that Instagram for me is a marketing tool right? It's not who I am or like, it's not like my best friends aren't answering me and telling me like, Emma, get your, you know, self together here. It's a marketing tool that I'm using to my advantage because it's free, which you can't get, right? It's amazing. So knowing that in my head, I'm like, okay, let me see what I can do with this. And it might work, but it might not. If it doesn't work, I'm like, oh, shoot, that didn't work. But what did work? And then you guys have encouraged us to look at metrics and to go back and look at like, okay, what are web hits and what are, you know, um, impressions? Is it that the reach Yeah, and all that? And that has been helpful because you're you're sitting there going like that. That Instagram one that I did last Thursday was so boring, but obviously people love it. And you're like, well, okay, maybe I need to do something similar, uh, which you guys have always encouraged us to do, you know, repeat it and, and reach the people Yeah, by what they're telling you. Exactly. Let the people speak and just make it simple for yourself. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like in the beginning, when you're first creating your account, you're going to have a lot of experiment. Those first 30 or 40 posts you may not know, but then once you get closer to the end of that experiment, then you're just recreating what does well, which makes it really simple. But you just have to allow yourself to be willing to like accept the process and go through it. Because a lot of people like once you're in Canva and you expressed earlier how much you love Canva Pro, it can slightly hurt your heart in the very beginning. <laughs> and don't go well because you're like, oh, my God, I got that perfect shade of blue and that thought perfectly centered and that photo was just fabulous and it's like (laughs) what do you mean you don't like the photo it took me an hour outside getting that photo (laughs) and there my dog is in it too so that's like come on guys I know but then you get over it because like you said it's a marketing tool so you gotta remove all that you gotta remove that yeah and you know people are looking at you as like Hey, wow, look at that. You know, I don't think so. I think they're looking at it like, really, what can you provide for me? Because that's why I'm looking at it. You know, so we have to get over our own selves. Like, they don't care. Nobody cares. We have to care about them. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're we're saying, like, I care about you. I understand you. Let me help you. It's absolutely not about me and my picture. Clap, clap, clap. Golf clap. (laughs) 
I have never played golf in my life. That was a first. <laughs> yeah, I caddied for four years. I was a caddy for four years. So I had to do a lot of golf clap. It's like so quiet. <laughs> Don't even bother, right? But I know it's like someone else might be like, on the other green, like, like putting. So you're like, Oh, I don't want to clap too loud because then I'm distracting someone. Yeah. It's like tennis or something. You have to be quiet. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) I'll clap. (laughs) And once you're able to get to that point where your content is really generating leads and you're getting sales, a big part of that is being able to have confidence now on the sales call. So can you share with the listeners how you approach sales and how your mindset around sales calls has evolved. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, you know, we were never taught sales and and sales is really, really hard for me. You know, I do best showing up and being in front of people and reading their body language. So when I'm trying to sell myself over the phone, I I feel like it's not as good. If I can sell myself on video, I might do a bit better, but again, I don't know if, do you ever get to the point where you love sales? I mean, does it happen? Have you done that? Yeah. Is it like, is it possible? Because, you know, I'm on the phone, I'm chatting with people and I'm having a great time. Believe me, we're chatty, chatty, chatty. Right. And then they're like, well, tell me a little bit more about like what the cost of the program is. And then I'm going like, mm, it's this. And then you hear something like, well, you know, I'm not sure, you know, it sounds like a lot. And then you have to go back to, you know, the training that you guys do with sales and be like, oh, wow. Okay. Now I got to really kick butt right now because they're asking the question. So then I have to ask a question back and say, no, really, what is it that you need? You know, how can I help you with this? And then I say, you know, then you kind of pitch your program again and usually you end up convincing them. Yeah. You know, it's it's a dance and it's it's definitely a dance. And yeah, if you haven't had any dance lessons, then yeah, it's one of those things where do you ever get better at dancing? Yeah, you don't get better at dancing if you don't invest in dance (laughs) lessons. It gets better for sure. But the first like, again, like those posts, once you get through like about 30 sales calls, they become a lot of people on the podcast have like equated them to just conversations with friends. Yes. It it gets to that point, but the evolution is definitely awkward. I'm not going to lie. It's like, it would be silly to just sit here and be like, Oh my God, even with everything in front of you, it's easy. You just have to put forth effort and go with it with a positive mindset and then give yourself so much credit for just even doing it and being one of the few people in this industry who's challenging themselves to pivot and be agile doing this and just take everything you learn and just move forward. Like you said, Emma, it's just, you, you just have to assess it and, and just move through it. But yeah, it is kind of weird at first and it is going to be weird, but it's also going to be amazing and awesome with practice. Yeah. I I feel that. (laughs) I definitely feel that. And I think, you know, the more you do everything, the better it gets. So yeah. A hundred percent. And the last thing I want to end on, we've had such a great conversation. I can't wait for this to air is sharing a specific example of how the dietitian boss method has empowered you. I love that word empowered. It means that you feel that you have the skills or the know-how to do something. And I think that the dietitian boss program has absolutely done that for me. It 
it has given me what I wanted. And that was to increase my skill set in marketing through social media, to learn how to pitch the sales, to become less stressed about who I'm targeting by niching down to that person, if we want to call it the person, in my case, the group or what have you. So for me, it's an investment in skills attained that I couldn't find elsewhere. And I was looking for that. Love it. That's so powerful. And I I think it's so helpful for all of us. Obviously, there's continuing education units and credits for almost every licensed body, like almost every licensed body has, has that. And it's always great to find something that you know is going to help you grow. So you're always educating yourself. And I think this is one of the tools that a lot of people don't look for. You know, counseling is always a sought after one, but thinking outside the box and thinking about how else can you grow as a professional and Mm -hmm. figure out ways to really shift and be a part of what's happening, what's to know. And obviously that's social media right now. It's hot. So I think part of it's great. Absolutely. And also, okay, this one's big. Also having the ability to communicate to anybody at any age, especially your peers. So throw me in a room with like a bunch of 20 year olds and I would have a blast. Okay. And they'll be like, Oh, my, my post, it didn't work last week. And you're like, really? What happened? Did you keep the book? And then, then they're like, yeah, girl. And I would be like, I got it. And so it's keeping up with the times as well. I mean, and the times are only going to get faster. They're only going to get, what do we say? Like, you know. Um, oh, yeah. It's just continuing. It's like an ongoing. It's literally ongoing. It's just no way to avoid it. you got to move fast and be agile. Like, yeah. like and, a football and, player. And it's going to get more agile and it's going to get more fast. And how, as a profession, are we going to survive if and not even survive, we need to thrive. We need to change the course here. You know, we're out of the dinosaur era and it's time to move into the next, you know, atmosphere. And that is here. It's here where we're at. It's the virtual world. It's reaching people across the globe. It's becoming expert and niche down in what we do best. And it's becoming just these skills that we need to, to keep keep moving forward with, because if we don't, you're left behind and we can't do that with our profession. We need to move forward. Yeah. 1 million percent. I totally agree. Thank you so much, Emma. This has been a blast. We've had so much fun. I know you guys were not ready for this ride. We took this everywhere. We had like 30 stops cross country journey, but it was epic and I'm living for it. I know that that was so much fun. I had a great time too. (laughs) As a reminder, you guys can find Emma on Instagram at the biome kitchen, as well as her website, www.thebiomekitchen.com. Thank you so much. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at libbyrothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.